Thanks for joining us today on the Jesus Famous Podcast with Pastor Nate Holdridge, where we discuss ways in which we can see Jesus famous in our lives. Today, we'll be discussing the book of Nehemiah and taking a look at how God renews his people. Nate, we've been talking about how you got a lot of travel coming up, right. and uh, I know you like your habits. You got your routine and everything. I do. You, I, I know you got to be thinking about it. What is the thing you're looking forward to post travel like getting back into that one thing do you have one thing you're looking forward to oh yeah in march when you're home what's that thing you're gonna do first i mean so aside from yeah you're you're right i do have a bit of travel coming up including our israel tour with uh, you know 28 i think people from our church uh here in a couple of weeks but yeah when i get done i'm gonna be back in Philadelphia for a thing it looks like and then you and me are doing something this week uh, but yeah when I get back I mean there's all the you know cool things I'm looking forward to like just being with my girls yeah, and totally. you know with Christina on a more regular basis and all of that but probably just like a dorky thing that yeah, I'll yeah. be looking forward to I'm kind of like finishing up a um, like a weightlifting program right now oh yeah and so I'll look forward to like getting back into the gym at that stage because when you're Heck on the yeah. road everything is just like well, whatever <laughs> you know we're doing like you know push-ups in totally. the hotel room oh yeah absolutely israel is yeah just push-ups in the israel hotel room it's yeah. gonna be great man yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool hey man we are cruising through nehemiah right now nehemiah chapter five it was such a solid Sunday yesterday. Um, yeah, going people this have chapter. been really like making comments about like how fast we've been going through. You, they're liking the, book the pace. Of yeah, a even my own kid, my <laughs> youngest daughter, the other day, she's like, "So, what are you teaching on Sunday?" I'm like, "Nehemiah five. She's like, "What verses?" I said, "All of them." She's like, "Whoa, she's like, no, Dad! In Forty minutes? <laughs> yeah, you can't do that." I'm like, "I've been doing that in Nehemiah. Oh, it is man. possible. Yeah, I could do these different styles. It's fine. Totally. One week." I think I saw on the schedule that you're doing two chapters in yeah. one day. Yeah. When you big see things. a two chapter teaching in Nehemiah, that's generally because there's a big old honk in genealogy or <laughs> list of people or something like that. All the so names. I'll just make yeah. a reference to it, but I'm I not going to like slow burn it on Sunday. <laughs> so great. I mean, chapter five was amazing. You know, last week we talked about how the work was beginning on the walls that Nehemiah had been leading the people but that there were some attacks from outside the camp trying to really distract the people. And this week was really interesting because, um, you know, there's a different kind of attack going on. It wasn't from the outside, it was from the inside, which I don't know if you watched the show Survivor or not, but this had a very Survivor-like vibe to me because there's all this conflict inside the camp. But you can't vote anybody out, so you got to deal with them. They're your yeah. people. So I'm going to go on the yeah. record right now and just let everybody know I've never seen even one episode of Survivor. And I don't hey. know how that's possible because I, I know there's I know like either. 50 seasons there, or whatever. Don't they right do now. like two a year or something like something that? Something crazy yeah, like that. Yeah, just crazy, but you, I've just never gotten into Survivor. <laughs> it's not, I'm not trying to rebuke anybody. I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. You would like, love I it. can't believe you watch Survivor. No, you would love it. I just watch reenactments of Scripture. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's just the the chosen on loop in your <laughs> exactly. house. <laughs> that's all I ever watch. <laughs> but man, this chapter, okay, crazy stuff's going on inside the camp. People are taking advantage of each other, extorting one another. Um, there's a lot of greed. There's a lot of poverty. Um, there's some bad decisions being made. And Nehemiah has a word 
for them. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool to see what God does through Nehemiah to really preserve this people because like we'll talk about here in a little bit, um, God's not trying to build the walls just for the sake of the walls. He's trying to build a place where people can worship him freely. And in this chapter, we see that that's really being taken advantage of because people are out to get each other in a lot of ways. So you talk about how um, God confronts his people and kind of the, the flow of how that went in this chapter. And the first one, or the first part of um, how God confronts people is just by simply confronting them. He sees that there's a sin, and in the beginning of the chapter, God uses Nehemiah to bring to light the different um, sins. But you talk about how God's anger is at play in this portion. Mm -hmm. I thought we could talk about that for a minute because some people see God as just an angry God. Some people see God as very loving and not using anger at all. But the way that you spoke about it was just so nuanced and it was um, so specific to God. Like his anger is just not like our anger, you know? So could we just talk about that for a minute? Can you explain to us this concept of God's anger and what makes God's anger um, helpful for us? Yeah. I think, you know, as I was approaching this particular passage, you know, the, the, the sins that they were committing against each other or one group was committing against the other group were financial in nature. Mm-hmm. And there was some, I didn't really get into this in the teaching, but there was some uh, Israelite old covenant law mm-hmm. nuance to the crimes that they were committing, probably attached to, even though it's hard to pin down exactly what one of the phrases, the collecting of interest mm-hmm. means in Nehemiah 5. Um, probably it was a breaking of one of the laws that God had established for ancient Israel that amongst themselves, they could not charge interest when they were Mm. giving loans to each other. It wasn't a wholesale, uh, you know, God forbidding pulling out a loan or charging interest or something like that. Certainly in our modern day, uh, you're being taken advantage of if you loan someone $500 today and tell them, pay me back in 10 years and no interest, that $500 that they give back to you in 10 years is going to ha- have nothing to do with the 500 that yeah. you lent them. It'll be worth so much less. Uh, so he's not really, it's not really about that, but I, you know, I kind of was tempted to go into explaining all those things, but I, I wanted to just lift above all of that hmm. and just kind of demonstrate how, God is confronting his people. So as I'm, as I was thinking about that, like, you know, I was thinking like, okay, do I, do I kind of go at this from the angle of, you know, here's God, he's, you know, through Nehemiah, he's purifying his people. I think mm. that's like a concept we can yeah. all get down with, you know, mm-hmm. is this God, um, you know, um, sanctifying his people. I, I could certainly that he's certainly mm. sanctifying. He's certainly purifying, but I just couldn't shake <laughs> the word confront totally because i was like that's what's happening it is after the confrontation it's like the first tip of the domino and then Mm -hmm. yeah purification and sanctification comes in part because of how they responded but it all started with god through nehemiah confronting the people for a sin that angered nehemiah which as the case i tried to present is nehemiah was representing god and god was in his love angry at the crimes that they were committing mm-hmm. against their fellow Israelite. And as I kind of wrestled with that, like, do I really want to go there? Is that really what the text is mm-hmm. giving to me? Is that, is that what's being communicated here? 
honestly, just the sense that I had was, I think the most loving thing God has ever done for me is confront me about my stuff. So I don't want people to miss out on that beautiful aspect of who God is and what God does. A lot of times when people talk about, well, I think God is a God of love as opposed to a God Hmm. who would ever confront or be angry. A lot of times what they're actually meaning is not that God is loving, but that God is without discernment, accepting Mm, of anything, but that's not loving. That's not loving. I'm, I'm, I'm not a loving person. If I accept, um, abuse for instance, you know, and I say, Hey, to the abuser, it's cool that you're doing that. Like I accept you now that might be an extreme example in some Mm. people's minds, but that's where God is coming from. He sees Mm. these sins, imperfections that are hurting others. And I think this one in Nehemiah five is a sin that we can all get down with and accept, you know, because here's this exorbitant greed that is hurting a group of people. And uh, so God, Mm. you know, from his position of love lashed out and didn't lash out. That's not the right word. I tried to, you know, paint the picture of his slow burn, you know, Mm -hmm. settled anger. But from that position of an anger at what sin is, what sin does to us, God confronted uh, these people. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know, God is just very different from us. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think for, I don't know how angry of a person you are, but um, I can tend to get angry and I've grown, you know, as the years have gone by. Uh, but God's anger is always um, right. Right. It's always mm-hmm. right. You know, there's this question that I think the spirit has like repurposed. It's from the Bible and to the prophet Jonah, but mm-hmm. the spirit has repurposed it in my life a thousand times. And it's the question which Jonah at the end of the book of Jonah, he throws a little hissy fit. Oh, yeah. Because he's so mad that the people have repented and that God is having mercy on them. And so he goes to the outskirts of Nineveh to just watch, see if maybe God will change his mind Mm -hmm. and will judge the people and, you know, bring down fire, cause some crazy earthquake or something. And it's not happening, but as he waits, he's getting beaten down by the desert (laughs) sun. And so God miraculously causes this bush to grow up over him and so he's in the shade of this bush and he's so happy about it and then god sends miraculously this big worm to come (laughs) eat the bush i just love this story and jonah is so upset oh yeah he is so angry that this bush has been destroyed and god comes to him and says is it right for you (laughs) to be angry. <laughs> and I just love that That's question. So great. The spirit has repurposed that question so many times in my life, you know, little things that. I'm throwing a hissy fit over where mm-hmm. like Jonah, my perspective is just out of balance. Yeah. Like oh, I'm so mad about this bush. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm not thinking about all this, this huge city of people that God totally. just had mercy on. Yeah. Like Jonah, the prophet should have been so dialed into the fact that he just got to be part of like the biggest revival in human history at that point. Yet what he's thinking about is this plant Mm -hmm. issue. And I think we do that a lot. You know, there's things where, you know, it's like, God's like, really, you know, yeah, sure. 
it'd be better to have the plant there, you know, but really you're going to be angry about that when this is the real issue over here. Hmm. And, uh, so often our anger is imbalanced or, uh, tainted by sin but as paul says in ephesians 4 lifting from the psalms we should be angry without sin be angry but do not sin so uh Hmm. you know jesus said blessed are those who mourn so when we see you know people hurting others or sinning against others when we see injustices these are things that should cause us to be um for sorrowful Mm -hmm. but in that sorrow, there's like a godly, without the taint or the effect of sin, anger mm-hmm. that's present. And and that's what it seems that God had there for uh, for these people. In part mm-hmm. because, like you said earlier, you know, if they if they persisted in this sin, then they were going to keep the worship from happening inside Jerusalem. So they're ultimately affecting the people they're hurting and they're affecting themselves yeah. because mm-hmm. everything's going to dry up in Jerusalem mm-hmm. if that wall doesn't get built. So they're hurting the project, totally. which would lead to their flourishing as a human species. It's not like God was sitting back going, you know what I need? I just need some more worship. You know, yeah, that's what right. really gets, that's my cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not God's attitude. It's, when you guys are worshiping me, it, you are properly aligned as a human being. You are mm. living out the design that I've given to you. So wow. therefore you can flourish if that's what's happening in your life. Mm. So as they're making these decisions and committing these sins, they're endangering the potential for human flourishing. And uh, so God is angry. Wow. At that. And he sends Nehemiah in that anger uh-huh. to deal with it. Wow, rightly so. You made a mention yesterday too about how Nehemiah took a pause, which I loved that. There's that little, it's like a one sentence that you can tell Nehemiah's upset, but he just he yep. gets into himself for a moment, reasons with what he's feeling, God ministers to him, and then he responds. And I just love that kind of idea that, you know, when you're angry, it's right to pause. It's good for your soul to make, like you were saying earlier, it's so easy to get so upset about one thing and forget about the people that you're ministering to or the people who are closest to you. But just to take that moment, let God minister to you, remind you about your purpose, your place. Yeah. um, He said, community is so good. I took counsel with myself. I took counsel. Yes. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) You ever talk to yourself? Are you one of those guys? Yeah. I've talked about here on the podcast before. A lot of times it's not like the most helpful talking though <laughs> i'm i'm working on like the positive i've heard you talk about before preaching to yourself kind of talk that's what i love that do you talk to yourself a bit i mean i think all of us have like the internal, the internal dialogue, dialogue yeah. you know for sure but i will definitely have those moments where i out loud am kind of talking through something sometimes for me it's just like a concentration mechanism you know, mm-hmm. like keeping me focused, like, okay, yeah. now next I'm going to do this. And then, all right, here, I'm moving this there and I'm going to check this out, you know, or whatever. But yeah, sometimes it's the giving yourself it's counsel. Necessary. Yeah. Oh, I don't yeah. know that Nehemiah was talking out loud, you know, to himself, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Just that the anger rushes in and mm-hmm. then I take counsel with myself. I just yeah. pause. I consider what's going to be the best plan of attack 
for this. And I love how Nehemiah, you know, approached it because uh, he, as I'm thinking about it right now, Hmm. he, I think there's a lot of us who, when verse six happens, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words, we might take counsel amongst, uh, among ourselves or within ourselves and conclude, dude, I I shouldn't be feeling this way. Hmm. I shouldn't be feeling this, uh, this anger. I got to just like, leave it alone. I got to just ignore this. I got to just walk away. Mm -hmm. But the thing about Nehemiah is that he knew he was in a position of responsibility. Yeah. So this was not something he's not just angry about something that it's like, I read this on the news. It's happening on the other side of the world. There's not a darn thing I can do about it, but I'm very angry. That wasn't really Nehemiah. His thing was, this is my territory. This is my realm of responsibility. This, this is something I am actually called to do something about. Hmm. So in that little self meeting that he had, he came to the conclusion, okay, big assembly confrontation, give them an opportunity to, to get this right. Yeah. Focused. It it was strategic. It's really um, interesting and beautiful. The cool thing about this whole confrontation, you know, with Nehemiah and the people is that they actually responded and repented. It was like, oh man, what a great ending to the story, you know, or a great mm-hmm. moment in the story. Yeah. I feel so often like sometimes that confrontation happens and people get defensive and peace out or um, get more upset. Um, but here, it's so cool how God was obviously in the process. Yeah. And, um, one of the ways he talked about how these people responded and repented was by walking in the fear of God. And, um, you know, that constant, we were just talking about the anger of God, which can be a little bit confusing sometimes. Now we're talking about the fear of God, having a personal fear of God. And, um, I thought we could just talk about that for a moment too, because there's a couple different things that might pop into your mind as you're hearing that phrase, but scripture is very clear that there's a that the fear of God is actually really helpful mm-hmm. for us to not walk in sin, to walk in righteousness. So can you explain what the fear of God is and how it's helpful for yeah. us? So in the teaching, the way I described it was, hey, this isn't paranoia, apprehension, right. or being scared. It's more awe, reverence, and respect for who God is. But maybe another way to think about it that might be helpful to people is to think about it as the opposite of the fear of man. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we say, I don't want to be fearful of man or I don't want to have fear. I want to have courage or yeah. I want to be fearless in the face of opposition or what people might think of me or whatever. But that really isn't the antidote to the fear of man. The antidote to the fear of man is the fear of God. So what that means then is if the fear of man is I care what people think about me, then the fear of God is I care more about what God thinks about me. That's what I respect. That's the value system that is meaningful to me. And that's where my loyalty is going to lie. Hmm. So how, how do you overcome the fear of man? You actually overcome it not by just saying, I don't care they're just a bunch of haters and <laughs> I'm going to be fearless. Yeah. You don't really overcome it that way. That's just actually a reaction to the fear of man that you have. So you're just mm. reacting to the fear of man. Uh, but 
the real way to deal with it is through a fear of God, a respect and reverence for him. So, you know, for Nehemiah, what it meant for him was, hey, you guys need to have such an intense connection to um, how God views your actions and life. And you need to have such a desire to be well-pleasing to him. You need to um, have a, a longing in your soul that even your financial practices would be conducted in a way that God approves of. You need to get back to that. And once you get that, then you'll be able to do the things I'm asking you to do. Be generous, dismiss some debts, go through a season in this emergency mode where we're trying to build the wall that you set aside some of your best business practices and do what you need to do with your fellow congregant to get the job accomplished mm -hmm. and done. So I think that's why he, wow. you know, started with the fear of man. I mean, I talked a little bit in the teaching just about how, I mean, there's like power dynamics at play oh, totally. in the whole chapter, you know, yeah. so the idea that because they were in the position of authority, they really didn't have anybody that could t make them do yeah. anything, mm -hmm. you know. Um, even Nehemiah, though later in the chapter he appears as the governor, his political power is tied to a king very far away. Mm -hmm. He's just one person. This is the ruling class there in Jerusalem at that time. And in a sense, they could have coalesced together and said, no, <laughs> you know, this is working out for us. We're building our, you know, kingdom and domain. This is what we're going to do. So someone needed to be above them. And so the fear of God is kind of what would drive that forward. Yeah. Like for them realizing, well, actually at the end of the day, we're not the supreme authority and beings we report to God. And so what he thinks about our lives is important. So mm. that's some Jesus famous stuff right there, man. I love that. So, you know, God confronts the people through Nehemiah. They respond in this really beautiful way. Like you mentioned at the end of the chapter, Nehemiah becomes the governor. There's like all this cool stuff that's happening. And you talk about the environment that God envisions for his people. I thought we could just close out the conversation today talking about that environment that God longs for, for his people. I feel like this is so tied into our conversations about Jesus Famous here at Calvary Monterey. Um, it's just a theme throughout scripture that God has for his people to see this new life kind of occur. So could you just explain to us just a bit about what is the kind of environment that God is looking for, for his people? And maybe if you can tie this into how do we know when we're getting off track of pursuing that environment mm -hmm. for God? Yeah. That's good. Well, I mean, I don't want to just regurgitate the teaching, but I mean, in, in essence, what the environment God is looking for is a very Jesus-y environment, mm -hmm. <laughs> a very Christ-like environment. And that's what Nehemiah, during those 12 years that he was the governor, and he kind of recounts it here at the end of Nehemiah chapter 5, like, hey, I had a 12-year run as the governor of Judah after we were done building the wall. And this is what it was like. And, mm -hmm. you know, he, he just honestly records and I think it's because he's saying this is the environment I was hoping to find earlier in the chapter and didn't but basically he's um, very um, sacrificial he's a servant leader you know he doesn't lay any heavy burdens on the people he's uh, focused you know he's got mm -hmm. the wall to continue to refurbish and perfect 
though it had been, you know, rebuilt, there was still a lot of work to do during those 12 years. And uh, additionally, he was very generous. He had, you know, at least 150 people and then other officials who were coming and visiting that he fed uh, daily. And then, um, and sacrificial in the sense that he didn't take the taxes that were due him as the governor. He got a daily food allowance and he mm. kind of refused that and out of his own resources paid for uh, a lot of people to be able to eat. And then uh, he really um, was focused on the Lord. He just kind of committed himself to God. You know, he says, remember my, for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this mm. people. And I think that, that really is the fear of the Lord right there. Yeah, He's like, totally. you know, I don't really need people's respect, but what I want is for God to mm. smile on my work. And I just tried to paint the picture that what Nehemiah was doing was um, emblematic of Jesus who, totally. you know, when he came, he was the best servant leader who ever lived. He was very considerate of his followers, just as he is still considerate of us today. He was very sacrificial, obviously, and going to the cross, very f- focused on the work that he was supposed to be about because he was all about heading to the cross. And so for us, you know, I think we have to recognize that's, it's, it's not just something that we want and are thankful that Jesus did for us. It's something we want to emulate ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we want to be a people who are, you know, like the Lord, are um, servant leaders, you know, we're serving others. We want to be those who are focused, you know, and not getting all sidetracked with things, but we keep the gospel Mm -hmm. central. We want to be people who are considerate and generous towards others. And we want to have that God oriented, you know, perspective. And, uh, you know, in the teaching, I talked about Romans 14 and 15, uh, which for me are very important passages, uh, because, there were people in the church in Rome that felt strong convictions about particular things. And uh, Paul really encouraged them, like, don't judge each other about those convictions. Leave each other alone about those convictions. Don't try to get each other to change their minds or live out an opposing conviction. Um, But then potentially he said, lay down your rights like Jesus laid down his. And I think one of the things I'd like to point out, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but one of the things I want to point out from that is that um, the two arguments in Romans 14 and 15 that they were arguing about was um, eating meat Hmm. or not eating meat or worshiping on a specific day or not worshiping on a specific day. Both of those things, by the way, it's not like the Bible is totally silent about those issues. So even in the context of Romans 14, uh, Paul called the person who abstained from the meat, um, the weaker person, Mm -hmm. he acknowledged they were wrong, right? You know, that their view was actually inaccurate. Mm -hmm. You you are allowed to eat the meat. So sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll say like a gray area or an area the Bible is silent about, I don't even know that that's exactly Hmm. precisely what was happening there in the church in Rome because the Bible isn't really totally silent about those things. It's that they just had this conviction that kind of went even above and beyond uh, scripture a little bit, uh, which 
and I somehow in like a non legalistic way. Yeah, you know? right. So uh, this isn't like a fully formulated you know thought or anything. But as I've you know considered this, I, I've noticed that a lot of times people will kind of like go like, but my issue hmm. is a big biblical issue, or you know, there's philosophies in scripture that lead me to conclude that this is the conviction yeah. that is right. And of course, you know, I think both of the camps in Romans would have made that kind of case, you know, in their own lives. But Paul was willing to, I think he had this kind of like broader view of just saying, well, you just can't, it's a conviction a person has, you need to leave each other alone yeah. about that. And don't try to drag someone into your conviction and try to find ways to, in a real Jesus-y spirit, lay down your rights and your uh, preferences for someone else if you can, um, if it's not violating, you know, your, you know, conscience or convictions or whatever. But even if it is, maybe try to do that because it's better yeah. to be like Christ than it is to just stand firm in a conviction that isn't even necessarily biblical. We pray that today's discussion has blessed you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and share so we can continue to reach people and make Jesus famous in our lives and the lives around us. Until next time, God bless.